Welcome to the Limitless Potential Podcast, where together we will dive into the personal, business, and career-rich tips, techniques, stories, and experiences of some incredibly successful and inspirational people, each with their own perspectives and journeys, and each with golden nuggets of wisdom which might just change your life. I'm Tracy Stone, and I'm a master trainer in a number of career supercharging techniques, a transformational coach, international best-selling author, inspirational speaker, and a woman discovering and evolving my very own limitless potential day by day. Welcome back for another episode and another healthy dose of Limitless Potential. And today I'm so delighted to introduce you to an amazing and very accomplished athlete, Jessica Gordon-Brown, who joins us from London. Jess is a Commonwealth silver medalist and GBR senior team member in Olympic weightlifting. She's a two times national acrobatic gymnastics champion and two times national medalist in judo with over 10 years of coaching experience. Having started off as a gymnast, Jess moved on to judo in 2011 at the tender age of 16 and later switched over to Olympic weightlifting in 2017. Alongside this, she also teaches gymnastics, judo and Olympic weightlifting. Jess is currently ranked first in the UK in the very competitive women's 59 class for Olympic lifting. She has recently returned from the Commonwealth Games with a silver medal in a very competitive weight class. Right now, though, Jess's main focus is working towards qualifying for the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris, starting with the first qualification event of the season in December 2022 in Bogota, Colombia. She's very excited to be representing Great Britain in the 2022 Senior World Championships. And she's here with us today to talk about her journey and how she taps into her very own limitless potential. Welcome, Jess, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for that, Tracy. Well, it's so lovely to have you here and you have got an incredible journey for someone who is still in such a, an incredibly young age of life, you have accomplished so much already. And I can't wait for us to unpack that for the Limitless Potential audience. And I know it's going to provide a wonderful buzz and boost and inspiration for a lot of people. So let's crack on with that. Jess, if you would, as we all do, we don't start off as being the amazing success that you are right now today, you've had to earn that, you've had to work for that, and you've had to make choices along your path to get to where you are today. And I'd love to share that. So let's go back to the start. And if you would tell us a little bit about what life was like for you as a little girl growing up. So when I was little, um, I was very energetic as a child. My parents sent me off to gymnastics so that I didn't make a mess of the house, kept uh, pulling the curtains down. 
trying to be like Tarzan. Um, I've got a lot of energy and they needed to kind of give me like a safe outlet so that I could um, safely practice what I was trying to do in the house. Um, and so they sent me off to gymnastics at the age of three. And I think from there, just like my love of sport just came alive. I really, really had a great time when I was a little. Um, the kind of attention to detail that the coaches had when you're working with the young children was really important. They try and get you to have a lot of fun, they get you to do things, challenge yourself, but the um, the stress level isn't too high because you you just you know you've got, you're in your first few years of life, and the whole point is to create like a really good uh, relationship with the sport. So I really loved gymnastics when I was a child. Um, it wasn't until I got to the age of seven where. I'd basically been moved into the gymnastics squad and I was doing, it was like 10 or 12 hours a week, which for a six or seven year old is, is a lot. That's uh, extreme, isn't it? Yeah, and that was just like the start of it. They, they wanted me to move up and do 14 or 15 hours a week. And I just decided that at that point, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. It kind of lost its fun. Um, it was all about, um discipline and it's very different like squad squad gymnastics and general gymnastics so when you send your kid to gymnastics when you're a parent and they'll probably go into like a general class so um the whole point is to, you know have fun and just teach them the basics of gymnastics and if your child has potential they tend to move you up into like a squad that's obviously where it gets a little bit more serious um but because I was so young and I had a lot of potential, apparently, they put me into quite a big squad. And me being me, I just decided that I wasn't having fun anymore. So I just turned around to my mum and said, I don't like doing it. So she was like, OK, that's fine. And um, I stopped gymnastics when I was seven and I moved on to doing some judo instead. And that's how I kind of came across it. I was practicing judo in my local village. Uh, they've got a little judo club, which I still sometimes work for, actually. Occasionally I'll go there and um, see who, what, like the kids and stuff. And it's quite sweet. And I work for the guy that um, was my coach at the time now. So it's quite nice that we've still got that relationship from when I was so young. Um, and judo is just so different because it was mainly like there's lots of boys there. It's quite a rough sport, but I really enjoyed like the challenge of it. And I loved how strong it made me feel. So um, it was really cool because I got to like fight boys. I didn't know <laughs> that was cool, but I just, it, it made me feel like really good that I can do stuff. I was never really worried about the whole being a girl and being weaker. I would always try and stand up to the task of it, almost prove people wrong. I'd be that person that would go and carry like seven chairs back the teacher would be like can I have one strong boy and I'll be like I'll take them um so um yeah it just it was like a really good opportunity for me to kind of discover a different side of myself um and I think when I was younger I I get bored quite easily so I chopped and changed sports quite a bit did a bit of judo did a little bit of um belly dancing <laughs> belly dancing or ballet dancing both actually both. <laughs> I did both um and then 
I basically settled back into gymnastics again, kind of at the age of 11. But that's where I found the gymnastics club that I ended up spending the majority of my teenage years at. So they do something called acrobatic gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And um, instead of you doing all the four events that you see in the Olympics, uh, it's more like a circus kind of thing. You have people balancing on top of each other, doing flips and stuff. Just thought it was really cool. And I, and I really liked the idea of it at the time. So kind of got stuck in and uh, didn't really look back for about five years. And that's kind of how I ended up with two, two national titles in uh, acrobatics. It was a very interesting few years of my life, to say the least. So how does it go, Jess, from joining into a club and starting a new sport? Because you've tried several, not tried, you have done several of these different uh, sports along the way, and you were still so young. So how does it move from trying things out into getting more serious about them? What is it inside of you that makes you think, I want to do more of this and go further in this rather than just enjoy it? Um, it's partly not down to the child. I mean, obviously they get to choose whether they want to go into the squad, but you've got to be selected first. So obviously if you've kind of shown a little bit of potential in the sport that you're doing, coaches are always on the lookout for people that have got like that little bit of extra. It might not be extra ability. It might be extra drive or a little bit of spark or motivation to do something that you wouldn't normally see. Um, it's not always about the talent. It's it's about the effort and how much you want to be putting into it. So they'll look out for little things like that. If they're practicing at home or, you know, they're really trying to think about it in a different way to the other children. So they'll select you for like a squad based on that kind of thing. And um, once you get selected in your squad, you're like, oh, I, I must be good at this. And then that kind of drives me to want to work harder. So the attitude generally in sports squads is different it's a bit more serious obviously there's still a fun element to it but you're in the squad because you're good you're not in the squad because it's fun so there's a bit more of a discipline element and um, I guess with that comes the territory of wanting to work harder it's a bit like in school like you want to excel because um, just of like all the other people around you you want to be better than them I think it's just that motivation to just want to be the best. Um, obviously, as I've got older, I realise it's not about the people around me. It's about myself and how much better I can be. Still do have that problem where I look at other people and think I want to be like you. But at the same time, um, everyone's a little bit different. And as you get older, you've got different factors that allow you to do different things. It's not always about who's the best It's how much time you have, how much funding you have. There's lots of things that kind of go into it. So it becomes less about where you are in the pack of everyone and more about how you're doing compared to what you were last year. So I think it's really interesting in that kind of sense. Absolutely. So how do you separate, how do you separate out the, um, the pack elements? So it's, where am I in that versus, as you just said, it's not so much about that. It then becomes competing against yourself. And am I progressing? What have I shifted? What have I changed for me in my goals? At what point or how did you kind of make that move from comparing yourself to others to comparing yourself to you? 
I think it's just circumstance. Like, as you kind of go into adult life, you're not just, you don't have the opportunity to just do the sport and then not worry about anything else. You've obviously got to pay bills. Um, I work full time, do like several jobs because I don't get paid to do any of the things that I do. Um, so it's a case of everyone's circumstance is different. When you're a child, like you will go to school, you've got homework and then whatever you do in that free time, everyone's kind of in the same boat. Obviously you've got people with different like access to money and facilities, but if you're all in the same club, you're probably all in kind of a similar-ish boat. Whereas when you're older, um, everyone's got their own struggles, like money struggles, work struggles, having burnout because of what they're doing or, you know, how far away they live. There's a lot more in play in terms of factors. So I think at that point you have to kind of, you can compare yourself to them, but you're never in the same boat as them anymore. So it's, it's really difficult to kind of expect that much progress when you're either at a disadvantage or you've got, you know, you've got um, things that you've got to worry about that they don't. So in that sense, it's more about where am I compared to where I was last year or how am I feeling after this setback that I've had? Um, so I think for me, it's definitely my mind's had to change a little bit since I kind of moved into the working world a couple of years ago. And um, once you're kind of at the top of the pack in the sense of like in the country, you then want to be looking like in different, you know, where what people are doing over abroad and how they're training. But as I said, their circumstances are different. Some of them get funding. It's their full-time job. Whereas most of us in the UK, bar a few people that have been to the Olympics, so they do get funding. We don't get paid at all. So there's a couple of us that are training full-time or at least trying to. And we're also trying to work to make enough money to pay rent. That's a, a huge amount to take on, isn't it? And, yeah. and I think this is often where a lot of people take their foot off the pedal, that they think, well, I have to work for a living. I have to earn money. I have to pay the rent. I have to do all of these things. So therefore, I don't have time and I don't have the advantages that other people have to be able to be paid to do the thing that I want to do. So this is kind of where it separates people out. So it must take huge focus and determination to realize I've got to work for a living and be at the top of my game in my sport. So what is it about you that makes you thrive on that, that makes you excel in both areas? I think it's the fact I've got no other choice. Um, if for me there is, if I'm at a high level at something, there's no point me training this hard if I'm just going to do it for fun. Mm -hmm. um, I think once you're kind of at the level where you're putting yourself through a lot of pain, a lot of mental stress, um, there's got to be some kind of external drive and like a goal and obviously for me it'll be going to the olympics if i wasn't at this level and i was having the same struggles i am now probably would have just given it the boot based on the fact that the living cost has now gone up so it's even harder than it was a couple of months ago and um 
it's just trying you got to really like crunch the numbers I feel like a student again I'm like watching everything that I'm spending being really careful with what I eat so that I'm not you know eating out too much um and then obviously was a, a high level sport and people will know when they're high level um rest and recoveries is actually almost as important as the training time so it's really difficult you can't really work a full-time job and then go to training after because you're gonna either um get a reduced amount of sleep or recovery or you know those things are like the admin that you might have to do to pay the bills doesn't get done so something's got to give somewhere so for me I've had to quit my full-time job last year kind of during COVID I just it wasn't really working and I got a part-time job which has now turned into like four part-time jobs just to like kind of make it work um and so I think for for the fact that um, if I wasn't wanting to get to the Olympics and I didn't have this massive goal, um, it would just be a lot easier for me to just kind of pack that in and, and go back to my full-time job. However, I've had this goal ever since I was a little girl. So for me, it's exceedingly important that I've been given this opportunity, that I've got the skills and the, the drive to kind of get to the level I am. And I need to make sure I make the most of it because um, not everyone is in the situation I'm in where their body allows them to do this. There are some people that are disabled or they've not had access to things throughout their life. So I need to make the most of this opportunity I've been given because it's a once in a lifetime thing. There aren't many people who are in the situation I'm in who have the skills and the are at the point where they can they're kind of like full-time um and and then obviously you've got the opportunity of going to the olympics so i really want to kind of do it justice for me but also for the people that haven't been able to get to where i am due to unforeseen circumstances i've got a few friends that have um they were really good athletes and they've ended up with a with an illness that's made them wheelchair bound or um where something's happened things can happen at the split second um and you've really got to kind of take the opportunity and just push it as far as you can because you don't know when something like this is ever going to come around again so I think for me that's what keeps me driven that's what makes me push through this kind of rough patch um I want to achieve greatness for me and um because I feel like I've been made for it um I don't know just feel like there's something I, there's like an um like something that I need to finish and haven't quite got there yet so I guess it's like uh, I'm kind of in the last like maybe three chapters of my sporting life book I need to complete it do that final thing I want to go to the Olympics and um yeah I'm, I'm not willing to give up until I've given it my absolute best that's amazing and what is that journey like for you to what is the journey of getting to the olympics from where you are today it's going to be exceedingly hard because of the amount of doping that's been found out so you might have seen it in the news you might have not there's been a few sports that have been given big warnings from the olympic committee um so i think it's modern pentathlon 
boxing and weightlifting have all been said that if you don't sort your uh, governing body out and the um, the doping isn't being seen to be fixed over the next few years, we will take you out of the 2028 Olympics. And to kind of prove their point, they've um, reduced the amount of spaces available for athletes at the Olympics this year. So the for the Paris Games, there's normally 16 spots per weight class. Uh, there's now only 12. And obviously two of those get given to people that are from France because they're the host nation. And then um, not only that, there's normally seven weight classes across uh, each gender. It's now only five. So you've gone from about roughly my calculation, 240 athletes to like 120. So, so much harder to get into then to qualify for that. To basically qualify, as far as I'm aware from what I've read on the qualification process, I have to be either the top or coming second in the continent. So I have to be number one or number two in Europe which is, that's a big ask of anyone because the each continent's got some absolutely phenomenal athletes. You've got people that are exceeding world records that have been, um, they're still quite young. And um, it's just having that kind of understanding that there's a lot of really, really good people going for so, so few spots. Mm. I think it's going to be different because I feel like getting to the Olympics is going to be the achievement then actually meddling at the Olympics. I feel like for the people that qualify, that's gonna be the difficulty. Um, and then obviously getting a medal is the icing on the cake, but you've got to basically be the top 10 in the world to go to the Olympics. It's insane. I think a lot of people don't realize that, do they? They don't understand. I mean, everybody assumes it's gotta be a hard slog to get to the Olympics, but I don't think that they quite get that, do they? Um, no, I think so. The way the qualification process works is normally they have two people from the host nation in each weight class or, you know, in each event. So if you do cycling, there'll be two in like the, the track cycling or whatever. Um, and then you've got the continental uh, slots. So you get two continental slots per continent. And then they've got these wild card spots that kind of go out to countries that obviously don't have a massive um, profile in their continent. So for example, um, Kosovo, which is a very, very small nation. Um, they have like athletes that might be selected based on if they've done quite well, but they don't have to be in that kind of top 10 list. But if they've kind of showed promise um, and showed kind of progression in their um, small nation, as it were, they're more likely to go to the Olympics. They get kind of picked as like a wild card spot. So um, that's something that's really good that they've done recently to give people that obviously wouldn't get the opportunity to qualify uh, to go. However, that also then means that you've got two athletes that are top, top level that are then missing out on the qualification spots because they've had to give it to some small nations so it depends it depends what side of the argument you're on I think for me it's actually a really good opportunity it allows um 
countries that wouldn't get much airtime on telly, like Gibraltar or Malta or something like that, something you wouldn't normally see at the Olympics. People will watch the Olympics from all around the world, so then they'll discover these smaller places. Um, so I think in that sense, it's really good. But I've heard other athletes kind of say, well, why are they taking our spots? So it's a bit controversial. Yes. And I can understand both sides of that because you've worked super hard and over a long period of time, you sacrificed an awful lot and you might be lifting at a better weight. You might be performing better. You, you might be excelling in a way that is different to people who are getting those spots. Yeah. So I can, yeah, I can understand that's very tough. So what is, would you take us through Jess, um, your personal journey now so you said you've had to give up the full-time job you're working for job aspects plus your training you're going intensively into your training what is a week or a day like with you how do you make your way through all of that and balance as you said the rest component as well as the the work component and the um the exercise the health nutrition the fitness how does a week look for you um, I think the idea that athletes have it all sorted is untrue. Obviously, some athletes will have their life all together, but um, at least for me, I'm still working things out because everything's changing so fast at the moment. The cost of things is going differently, but then the increase of pay isn't happening in, in time with it. I'm having to take on extra work shifts. So normally I'd only work like in a week, I'd work a couple hours a day in a school. So I, I work with children. I teach uh, primarily like either their PE or I do after school clubs with them. So gymnastics or judo. And then um, on the flip side of the other job I do, I work in the university. I work in the gym. So either on the reception or as gym staff. And then I also coach the student weightlifting club so I do lots of kind of different things. And then I have a couple of clients here and there. So a normal day would be like wake up, have breakfast, go to the gym, do my morning session because I have to split my sessions up at the moment because otherwise I end up in the gym for four hours in the evening because the accessories that you do to ensure that your body is coping with all the, the weight that you're putting on it um they're actually very important so I can't be skipping anything like that so I can't come in in the morning to ensure I do everything properly and then come back home quickly eat some lunch go off to school um do a couple hours in school come back go straight to coaching um the student class and then um straight after student class I go to training so I've got to pack all of my food and everything like that. And then I don't finish training until eight, nine o'clock in the evening. And then I come home and chill for a few hours before I go to bed. So it didn't used to be like that. It used to be, I used to have a bit more time in between, but because I've had to take on more work um, and getting less time to kind of make sure I'm eating properly, having to meal prep to make sure I've actually got food with me. Because often I get into a situation where I forget about cooking the day before because I just want to relax. And then um, I wind up and find I haven't got any lunch or dinner for the next day. 
And normally I'd just go and buy it out, but because of the rising cost, you are kind of trying trying to do that less and less because mm. it's extra costs that I can reduce as long as I'm organized the day before. But sometimes like I'm human, sometimes I just want to chill, I just want to sit on the sofa, I want to watch telly. Even if it's for an hour. And I don't get much of that at the moment. So yeah. my recovery isn't as good as it should be. I should probably be resting a few hours a day at least. Mm-hmm. That's what the other athletes are doing, I know for sure. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the problems that I'm facing at the moment is not getting enough rest time. And therefore I'm picking up illness or injury because I work with children. So it's just trying to balance it all out. I think you've kind of, you've got to be really, really organized. You've got to have amazing time management skills. Um, I've even written, look, I've even written a list now. Stuff that I've got to do after this because I'm, I've, I've got to do it all before um, I go to training in the evening. So yeah. it's just about being super organized. Um, I wouldn't say being strict, but it's a bit like a school timetable. I actually have one on the, the fridge right now. And I change it every week so that nothing kind of comes at me as a surprise. Yes. Um, and then just trying to get a good quality sleep. But that's sometimes quite difficult when you've got a lot on your mind. So for people that suffer from insomnia or they've got like anxiety or they worry a lot, it can be really hard to fall asleep. And when you know that you've got to get up and you've got a busy day tomorrow, the last thing that you want to do is... Uh, not be sleeping unfortunately that's what causes the lack of sleep because you're stressing about it so um to say that my life is together is probably not right but I am coping so it's kind of like it's one of those things like um most people that think that look like they've kind of got their stuff sorted there's always little bits under the surface that they haven't it's all a facade. It's an image. You've kind of got to fake it till you make it. And sometimes faking it then makes you feel like you've got your life together. So kind of has that, if I think that I look like I'm doing well, then maybe I am doing well. And then you start kind of getting more into a positive positive feedback loop. Absolutely. I think it just depends what kind of, like how I'm feeling that week. Sometimes yeah. I'm really motivated and other times I'm just like, this is so hard. Just don't want to do it anymore. Because <laughs> you're so, human. Yeah. And, and you've touched on some really important things there. One, you're human. All athletes are human. All people are human. No matter how together it looks like they've got their act, they're still human. They still have off days. They still have doubts. They still have difficult days. Uh, what do you do for you to shift yourself into the positive mental environment that you need to be in to get all this stuff done? Um, sometimes I have to look back on things that I've done in the past and realize that I'm, I'm actually doing a good job for myself. So over the summer, I got a, a silver medal at the Commonwealth Games. Congratulations. That's, That's like amazing. A really big dream for me to like compete there. And um, again, like I was still struggling with a lot of stuff that was going on behind the scenes. So it's just um, sometimes when I'm having like a really hard day, just looking back on what I've achieved. And I obviously didn't have my life together at that point. 
just kind of makes me realize that I don't need to have it all sorted and that I can kind of keep going in this slightly unorganized manner and um it's just having that kind of like you're doing really well and just keep going idea in your brain as soon as you feel like it's not worth anything or you want to give up that's when you kind of go into this downward spiral and once you're in there it's really quite difficult to get out of Mm -hmm. um I've had a few times where that's been the case but I've been reading some books recently especially when I hurt my back I got really bad back injury after the games I couldn't walk properly for a few days and then I wasn't training for a month which is a very long time Mm. and um just reading some books there's a book by Adam Peaty that I've been reading and just kind of his mindset to getting stuff done um but giving yourself some time and space and you know not having to be in athlete mode all the time I think it's really important and I I needed to hear that from someone even Mm. if it wasn't in person like just reading it through the experiences he's faced and um, and how it can apply to me. I think it really kind of helped me stay positive when it was all going a bit wrong. When you needed it. And yeah. what would you say, if you were to distill that down into a few words that you remind yourself when you need it, what are those words that you bring back to yourself? You've got this far, keep going. That's pretty much it. Like you've got to this point and it's not been easy so why stop now I've not finished yet I've got stuff to prove and also I feel like for me I'm still quite new in the weightlifting I've been doing it for five years but a lot of the people that have reached top level they're approaching 10 years 12 years 15 years in the sport I've still got stuff to prove and I'm not that far down the line yet Mm -hmm. so where will I be in two years if I had support or had a little bit more like sorted something out a bit better you don't know I think it's the idea of the unknown like where could I be uh it's kind of what excites me you just never know what's around the corner really so yeah because everything is possible exactly I mean obviously you can't fly on your own you don't know that yet have you (laughs) you know what I mean like obviously there's like physics that come into play but in terms of like I'm a great believer in um, what your mind thinks your body can believe. So your mind obviously controls like all of your body. And if your mind gives up, then your body is going to start giving up with it. There's one thing that they said to us in gymnastics when I was a child. And it was one thing that's really stuck with me through adulthood. um, And that is your mind will give up long before your body can. So as long as you can believe it 100%, you can push your body to do things that you wouldn't believe are capable. So for me, it's just how far can I go? How far can I push? And how far do you believe you can go? There's obviously doubts that I won't make it to the Olympics, but I'm trying to keep them as far back in the back of my mind as possible. It's a bit far out at the moment to be worrying about it, So I'm just trying to see how far I can get myself after my back was bad. We're coming back now and I've got six weeks until the the World Championships. So I want to see to what state can I get myself back slash 
make an improvement on, on my performance before I hurt myself. So yeah. it's going well so far. Brilliant. Made um, big progress in the last two weeks, I think. And um, I'm excited to see what, what I can do in the next six weeks. And then I can chill for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. It's <laughs> my birthday. You it's your birthday time, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need a bit of chill then. Yeah. Uh, what do you do to celebrate success? Now, successes can be small and big, as you well know. Uh, it can be that amazing silver medal win. It could also be the successes in the last couple of weeks where you're seeing progress in your recovery, in your fitness, in your performance. What do you do to celebrate all that your various levels of success? Um, I never really used to celebrate miles, like small milestones, because I just didn't think they were very necessary. But after I think the last couple of months has been a very good. Good. It's been good for me. It's been horrible, but it's made me realise a lot of things and it's made me understand that you need to be celebrating small wins. Mm. I know that a lot of people say that and it's probably the one thing that everyone has heard every sports person say, celebrate the small wins. But it really is true because when you're so wrapped up in this kind of big idea of I need to get here, you kind of forget how far you've gone along the way. It's really easy to think that you've not improved since last year but actually maybe your mental capacity or the way that you're taking it on has improved maybe your attitude to your training or lifestyle has it got better it's not just about the performance side of it it's about how you as a whole rounded individual can improve so for something like the the Commonwealth Games when I got a medal it didn't really sink in for about a week I mean we definitely all got drunk and went out afterwards we waited for everyone to finish competing because there was a whole team of us and then we all got absolutely smashed because as I said we're all human we've all got to you know let ourselves go one night's normally not a problem uh, it's when you go on a five-day bender that's when you need to start worrying um but I don't know I just kind of came home and it was really bizarre I just kind of went back to normal again and some people didn't even realize what I'd done. It just kind of felt a bit like it hadn't happened. It was really strange. Um, just kind of getting to the grips of it now that I have actually achieved something quite great. Mm. Um, but for me, it was just, I think on the platform when, when I was on the rostrum, just had like a little cry to myself because I realized that all the dreams that I'd been dreaming about since I was a little girl, I'd actually made happen so I got a bit emotional and then I recomposed myself so if you find some of the pictures and I'm like sobbing my eyes out you know why um I think after that um I didn't really do much went out with my family that was about it we did I did go on holiday a couple months after I needed a bit of like downtime to kind of sort my brain out it was a bit crazy I went to Florida and that was really like nice. Um, I think just taking yourself out of the situation, giving yourself time off is a, is a good way to celebrate because um, when you then go straight back to training, it's kind of like nothing's really changed. Oh. You need to kind of change your, I don't know, surroundings a little bit to really realize what you've done and, you know, celebrate the, the achievement that you've done. And in terms of small achievements, I tend to, 
started writing them down. I keep forgetting, but when I remember, I'll put it in this little book I have so that if I'm ever having like a bad day where I feel like I've gone backwards, just read and see what I, like how I've progressed over the last couple of months. So I think it's just about recording it, um, mm -hmm. making the most of the time that you have when you're in a celebration kind of uh, phase, because when you then go back to training, it's all kind of forgotten and people forget what you've done. So, yeah. It's just I think that's great, but earn your celebration, but have your celebration. And being able to remember those celebrations also ties you to the work you put in to earn it, the success that you had, the celebration, and it spurs you on then there's something more tangible in your mind about what happens as a result of the work, isn't there? There's the success, there's the silver medal or whatever else comes in the future. And there's the celebration that takes that moment to stop and say, yeah, I did good. Yeah. Love it. So Jess, how did you get into the weightlifting side? So you talked about the gymnastics, you talked about the judo, and you're still doing amazing things there. How did you choose weightlifting? It was a complete accident, we'll be honest. Um, I was got a sports scholarship at my university for judo. And the sports scholars receive strength and conditioning sessions each week which basically helps with speed, strength, whatever your sport needs really. Um, for judo, you need a lot of power, you need a lot of speed. Um, you obviously need some strength and um, you also need quite a bit of coordination for it. Um, so weightlifting is like the actual lifts are used by a lot of sports to build those kind of speed, power, strength elements that you'd use just found that I was weirdly quite strong and that I could uh, lift the weight quite easily. I mean, the technique was terrible at the time and they said that I was too strong and I'd never get it right. Well, here I am. That's uh, interesting feedback. You were too strong and you'd never get it right. I mean, that's just mind blowing. Well, it kind of having said, that might not have been exactly how they phrased it, but that's how I understood it as. Yeah. I don't think you'll be able to get get this right. You don't have the patience. You don't have the time. So I was like, well, screw this. I'm going to um, I'm going to spend the time. I'm going to work on it. And lo and behold, I ended up seeing the same guy about two years down the line when I just kind of got to the point where I was competing at the British and doing all right. And he said, you're actually quite good at this now, aren't you? I was like, see, <laughs> I told you. Because <laughs> he, he left, like he was only like a student for the year and he was helping out and then they move on and then they go to different universities, kind of like a placement. So just think it's quite ironic. Um, but I think for me, if, he, if we hadn't gone through those movements and if he hadn't kind of said something along those lines, I would have never had the, I love it when people um, tell me they can't, that I can't do something because it makes me want to do it more. A bit like, oh, you're a girl. You can't do boy sports. You're not very strong. Okay, watch me. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it better than you've ever done it before. Just love that. don't know. It's just a big drive for me. I like proving people wrong. I think that's probably the main thing. Um, maybe that's why I've kind of stagnated recently because 
I think people are starting to realize that I can do stuff. Haven't really had anyone challenge me recently. Don't know. I just love that mindset when someone says you can't do it. it you get put down originally and then you go and then you turn around and go, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I'm going to work so hard to make sure that you realize that you've just made a big mistake. So it, it adds fuel to the fire, doesn't it? Oh, really? Yeah, 100%. I think I've always been like it as a child, like at school, they said you could never do this. When I went to university, um, I got a scholarship at Loughborough. But when I went to the open day and spoke to them about, like, you know, the induction kind of thing. And I said that I was doing high level judo and I wanted to do the design degree that I was doing. Design and sports are the two main massive factors at Loughborough. Like they're, they kind of specialize in those two things. And the impression that I got and my parents got is they said, you can't do both things at once. So I didn't go to university there. I went to Brighton and uh, I did both sports and my design degree at the same time. So just one of those things. Yes, I get the feeling that nobody's ever going to put you in the corner. I hope not. I, no, I hope they do, because then I want to prove them that they've done something real wrong. You're going to come out centre stage every time. Yeah, I don't know about centre stage, but I'll, I'll be on there somewhere, like <laughs> making people, like making it known that I'm around. It's not I, always I to get to the very top, it's just the sense is to just kind of get out there and, and make my face known, I think. I, I think that such a resilient mindset uh, and being in sports, you have to be super resilient. So what does resilience mean to you and how do you build your resilience? Just putting yourself through hardships. I mean, I don't even have to do that anymore. I'm already in one. Um, so I don't have to kind of force myself in situations. But um, one thing that I've done in the past is, so when I was did judo, we did a training camp every winter up in Kendall. It was so cold. And the idea is, is it's, um, it's character building and resilience. And um, you do it like two days after Christmas, you go up to this place, you're in like little cabins. It's freezing cold. You're training three times a day. Um, you're running up and down the, the fells, carrying like massive logs. And you're doing all these kind of crazy things, kind of a bit like army training, mm -hmm. but you're not in the army. And then you're and then you're doing lots of judo as well. So your body's like bruised and battered after like four days. You really have to be mentally resilient and strong to kind of not give up and leave. It's a bit like SAS who dares wins. Yes. It's like, how much can you take before... Um, before your brain's had enough and I believe that to grow in situations you have to put yourself out of your comfort zone that's probably the only way you can build resilience so putting yourself in difficult situations and overcoming them is one way to kind of um, help with that but obviously there's kind of a factor of you can only do it for so long because in the long run you're either reducing your recovery or you're putting yourself in a in a state where you're probably prone to more injuries but in terms of like the mental side of it I think it's really important that someone everyone does something like that at least once in their life just to kind of see what they can prove to themselves 
Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you just end up stuck in the same rut for the rest of your days and you, you never know what your potential could have been. Exactly. That you never ever know what you could achieve yeah. if you stay in that rut. And you certainly don't do that. Now you mentioned that you are going through that difficulty. Now, is that the back injury or is it the, the current economic climate? What would you say is the difficulty at the moment? Economic climate. Um just trying to make enough money, train as hard as I need to, get enough recovery in. Mm -hmm. and uh, I wouldn't say afford the right kind of food but it's more about having the time to prepare it everyone can just go to Tesco's and get like one of those meal deal things but that costs a lot more than making it yourself mm -hmm. but you have to have the time to make it yourself um, and also have like equipment so I think the best thing for anyone to invest in is a slow cooker because you can just put it all in, just leave it to cook. However, as I said, like you're, you're going to be spending something. It's going to be energy, it's going to be time, or it's going to be money. Um, and it's about trying to balance your expenditure, as it were, mm -hmm. on all of those three. And I think that's probably what's really hard at the moment because I need, it's almost like I need more time, but you've only got X amount of time. Um, and I'd like to say I need more money. Mm. But that's not really, I'm not really in a situation where I can do that right now. So just have to kind of hope that the economy sorts itself out. Mm. Because there's going to be a lot of people that are struggling. I'm not too bad, but it's a case of if I want to get to where I need to go, like if I need to get to where I want to go, um, something needs to change because I can't, it's not physically viable for me right now. I'm finding it, I'm either getting injured, ill, not putting enough time in. Just feels like I'm, I'm managing to get 80% out of the 100% I need to put in. Mm -hmm. So not being able to give all of the effort because I've got to make up for other things is a real pain in the, in the, in the bum, to be honest. So, um, it's just managing that. I'm hoping it won't go on for too long. Hoping things will start to sort themselves out. But you never know. And just what it, I mean, it, it does sound incredibly tough. So what would be an ideal scenario for you to help you? Okay, the economic climate isn't going to uplift quickly on its own to help you with that. What factor would you change that would help you to be able to uh, manage better so you can get closer to that 100% of peak performance without all of that stress. So how would you change that if you could? Funding, athlete funding. It's only given out to people that have already achieved the Olympics. It, it varies for sports. Athletics, you get people that get it. They're at the same or lower level than me in their own sport. So. And then obviously there's sponsorships and stuff like that. Um, there's lots of ways that you can get cash, but some sports have more access than others. So like obviously footballers, they get paid a lot. Mm. Athletics is quite a well-known sport. So again, they get paid a lot. Weightlifting, not really heard of it. You, you don't really get any money. Um, they try their best to give us help, but it's 
like as I said it's it's the other countries that have you know put more time and money into weightlifting obviously they're gonna produce better athletes because the athletes have got a better opportunity to put in a hundred percent effort mm-hmm. if that makes sense um or like another sport that I know doesn't get enough recognition is like certain types of gymnastics but only if you're top level will you get funding but you have to put a lot of hours in before you get to that point Um, so the differences for gymnastics though is that obviously they're younger so they're still at school probably still living with parents and or studying at university whereas once you're out of that situation you get no funding from the government you get no help you just chucked in with the rest of the population kind of in this you need to work to survive thing mm-hmm. and um it gets really difficult some days I'm, I'm more positive than others but it's something that I really need to sort out because um I just feel like time's ticking away and if I've got for example like a year if I'm only putting 80% effort in for like half the year there's no point like I need the whole year to be putting 100% effort in to actually get the best results out of myself. That's kind of, it feels like there's like a an hourglass that's going down and I'm running out of time. It's quite stressful and um, gets me a bit worried when I think about it. So we need like some big business to adopt you um, as their mascot and support I mean, you be great. be part of that journey so come on big businesses <laughs> bring people to the forefront and you know you would be able to work with that big business I'm sure as well um to to have a presence with them and help inspire their people so you could work hand in hand with them uh, with a bit of funding to well, yeah it would also help me in like my, my main goal after weightlifting is to inspire the younger generation. Um, and obviously I want to go into schools and, and do talks and be inspirational, but I'm just not having the time to do that right now because I'm having to work. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's pulling me back from being able to help other people, which I know I can do. Um, it's just frustrating, but yeah, I can't really moan about it because there's not really much I can do to make it better. So it's just a case of I've just got to kind of stick with it, deal with it until something sorts itself out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fingers crossed in the future, I'll be able to help children put hundred percent effort in and uh, not have to worry. Everyone's got problems. Everyone's got, got worries. This is just one of the main things that, not just me, a lot of athletes who are having the same problem they would have put X amount of hours in. They're getting zero to no payback. Mm. And um, and it's just how long can you go? It's unsustainable for a long period of time because obviously you're either operating at a loss to achieve greatness. Um, and at some point, like, you can't run like that anymore because you deplete savings or stress on the brain. Like, it's you can do it short term. I just hope it resolves itself in the next couple of months. We'll so see. you and you have got big things coming up soon. So tell us a little bit about what's coming up for you in December. Um, so I've got the World Championships. It's the first qualification event for the Olympics. Because obviously I hurt my back, 
not looking to hit any massive new personal bests but what I am looking to do is to get back to where I was but with a better consistency of where I was before I hurt my back so the the numbers will come when I can then start putting full effort in but at the moment it's about the small things like doing the accessories working on my recovery making sure I'm getting enough sleep those will make big differences in how I was training before as to how I am now um so I'm hoping just by changing those small things which take less effort than you'd think you just have to be a little bit persistent with keeping on doing it hoping that will make me a healthier athlete in the sense of my body isn't constantly broken and I'm having to take a lot of painkillers <laughs> Because I know a lot of athletes are like that. We're not healthy people, honestly. Everyone's like, oh, you're the, the greatest person. Like, we're, you're great advocates for health. Most of us not. We're mostly just broken because we're putting ourselves through a lot. Um, but you've got to push yourself to, to get to a point where no one else has ever been before. So I guess it's a sacrifice all athletes are willing to make. You've just got this drive to be the best regardless of what it does to you <laughs> try not to think about the future and what it does for my bones and my joints but you know I'm okay so far so I think as long as I keep looking after myself mm. um, I think it'll be all right so that's all coming up in December and that's where do you go for all of that so we'll have a training camp before um, up in Nottingham that's where our national kind of center is or it's kind of it's on the move towards there and then we'll all fly out to uh, Colombia um, a couple of days before to acclimatize. So the competition starts on the 5th or the 6th, I'm not 100% sure. Um, I probably won't be competing until the 9th because I'm the third weight category along. And then, um, so we'll have a few days to kind of get used to the high altitude, which is going to be interesting, the heat, and just the general like being in a different country over the other side of the, the world and then uh, do your competition and then go home pretty much but we've got a good team this year so I think it's going to be really fun fantastic and you go home and celebrate your birthday at Christmas time yeah. yes I'm very <laughs> excited for that so Jess what if you were to be able to get your older self to come back let's let's say your 40 year old self to come back and sit down and talk with you this Christmas for your birthday. What would you want to hear from that older version of you? What do you want her to say to you? Um, I don't know, I haven't really thought about it. Probably like, it will be worth it. Just keep going, something along those lines. Um, I just wanna, when I get older, I just wanna make sure that there's no regrets, that I'll look back and be like, I wish I did that yes so that's kind of why I'm going to go for it whilst I've got the best chance I can um probably just also be nice to hear like everything's going to turn out all right because it's always like a worry like when you're growing up and when you're an adult things change like change so quickly um and opportunities come and go like that so it's just a case of you, you kind of want to know that it's all it's all worked out and that you've lived a happy life and you've helped enough people. Um, but that's one of the things you, you'll never know until you're older. So I guess maybe something along those lines. Love so, that. 
That's perfect. So let's hope you get a little visit from your 40 year old self at Christmas time and that she can say those things to you. But in the meantime, wishing you the very, very best of luck and health and resilience and all of the things that you need in December for the games coming up. Thank you very much. Not at all. And thank you for joining us. Any last little words of inspiration that you would love to share with people? That if, you, if they were to bottle the essence of you, what would that inspiration be? Um, don't let anyone dull your sparkle. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do something because um, you are the ruler of your life and only you can decide what you make of your how you're going. Don't let anyone else tell you what you can and can't do because they're not you and they don't control your life. I think that's probably the most important thing. I think that that goes for all ages, like children, adults, grandparents, like babies. Okay, they wouldn't understand that, but it's a case of you decide how you want to spend your life. No one else has that decision. Um, obviously they can kind of persuade you but you have the final say in everything you do. So just do what you want to do and um, reap the awards that that comes with that. Love that. Love it very much. Jess, thank you. I'm, I'm making notes furiously as we <laughs> go there. I love it. Thank you for all of that and for sharing your journey. And there's so much more to come for you yet. So I know we'll all be watching avidly and waiting to hear news of how you get on. So the very best of luck again for December. Happy birthday celebrations that you will have well earned by the time you've been through all of that. And amazing success for the future for the Paris Games as Thank well. Thank you very much. So thanks for joining us here today and sharing your journey. And thank you to everybody for listening in and watching along and hearing all about Jess's journey into her limitless potential. And we'll welcome you back again the next time for another story, another journey, somebody else's experience and attitude to their resilience and tapping into their limitless potential. We'll see you soon.